Hey, it's Bob Stoffer. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to Oilers Now ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer. Weekdays at noon on Oilers Radio, 630 Chad. We return to Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer. Brought to you by Digitex. Managed print services to keep your printing costs down? Yeah, Digitex does that. D I G I T E X dot C A on Oilers Radio, 630 Chad. All right, all right, all right. Welcome back, everybody. Bob Stoffer with you. Dave Semenko, Dave's Drive, the announcement uh, today, third annual uh, Dave's Drive to take place, tied up with Sports Central. Uh, it just makes me wonder sometimes. We're going to have a get your thoughts on this. In terms of the Oilers' tough guys all time, give me your top five. Text us on the Ashley Fine Floors text line at 780 where would you rank them? Dave Semeco would certainly be amongst the most intimidating because he was a little nasty sometimes and occasionally dealt with the five foot eleven, six feet, 185, 190-pound guys that need to be kept in line. Um, we have George LaRock on the show, and we have Louis DeBrusque most Thursdays. George is coming on the show today. Those two would both be in the mix. Marty McSorley for two years, Dave Brown who to me was a cold-blooded assassin um, and one of the most intimidating men ever in the NHL. Now, Dave had a wicked left hand, uh, but a couple times got popped and fell and then got right back up and kept on chucking him. Uh, so let me know what you think. 780 <laughs> Uh, keep it coming in that regard. We're just working on negotiating contact. This texter comes in, Bob, there's only one number one, and that's Dave Brown. Well, that two-year period that Brown was with the team, 89-90-90-91, was pretty effective. Like, he dropped Jay Miller a couple times. Uh, it was it was pretty impressive. Uh, obviously, to paraphrase Darren Dutition, he started the legendary lawnmower on Jim Kite, which is one of the finer moments. Uh, he made Stu Crimson go away for a while and then stare down the Calgary Flames bench. And if you're into that sort of thing, and maybe you're not, like maybe you're a person that likes hockey and doesn't want any contact, but, you know, if you don't mind the occasional scrap, just had a texter say, where would Dave Manson rank? Dave was, he was tough. He, I think in Chicago, his reputation was that he was a little bit more unpredictable. Um, the Chiseler out of Vegas says, Bob, here we go. Semenko, LaRock, Louie, Brown, McIntyre, and Marty. Can you have Marty ranked? You know what? I actually think I had Marty ranked four or five as well. I, I did a list of this during the uh, sometime in March or April. I'm like, can you have him uh, rank that low? Trent B says, hey, Bob, what about Steve McIntyre? Good Saskatchewan boy. Well, Mac was, he could scary as well 
I mean, he could put you down. This texter, Terps out of Beaumont, says, number one, Dave Brown. Number two, George LaRock. Number three, Dave Semenko. Number four, Steve McIntyre. Number five, Marty McSorley. I mean, McSorley had a couple absolute classic scraps of Bob Probert. The one McSorley had when he was in Pittsburgh, uh, when he was traded for Sean McEachern, and then traded back by Pittsburgh, to L.A. for Sean McEachern. Uh, that one in particular has to be considered one of the best fights in NHL history. Bob, what about Brian Marchment, Dennis Bonvey, McSorley, Louie, and Semenko? Number one all-time in the league was Bob Probert, says the texter. I would agree. I think Bob Probert is the number one tough guy of all time. Brian Marchment could fight, and he could fight all day. Brendan, just let me know uh, when we're good to go here, if uh, we're still working away on it. I think maybe, I know I reached out yesterday to coordinate, probably should have followed up uh, a little bit early on. Uh, this texture said... We're ready to rock and roll. All right. This this texture says, Semenko is one of the most overrated fighters of all time, not just in the Oilers. Did he ever beat Dave... Uh, uh, are you thinking Tim Hunter, the texture's saying? Well, he busted Tim Hunter's face up in the... 86 playoffs. Got him in tight and just worked him over. This texter's got Dave Brown, number one. Let's talk to a guy that played against Dave Semenko uh, when he was in the National Hockey League. Brian, we'll get to the NHL stuff. Today's the start of Dave's drive from the 13th to the 27th in honor of Dave Semenko. Uh, you know, he's got to be one of the top five all-time tough guys with the Oilers. When you broke into the league with Minnesota, did you go near him when he was on the ice? You know, Dave was such a I don't know how you could say it articulately. He was such a classy human being, even the way he played hockey. I, I, he intimidated everybody. Um, but I have to say, I was—he wasn't crazy. There were some guys like Ben Wilson that I thought were crazy. Right. That wasn't Dave. Dave, Dave was looking for Willie Plett when we played. If there was anything to be settled, Dave would address it with Willie Plett. Uh, he still intimidated everybody, but he—he he just the guy played the game with honor is what I'm trying to say, in a very, you know, that is a very difficult role to play, and he did it. Um, you know, meeting him after I was done playing and, and not spending a ton of time with him, but just a little, he was just a gentleman. And it's obviously, you know, it's it's a tough deal. When you see anybody that's that vibrant, right. passed away so young, it's just, it's very difficult to reconcile, particularly when... You know, you get to be our age, Bob, and you're looking around going, Dave Semenko, not that much older than us. Yeah, absolutely. Well stated. Uh, I do remember Paul Baxter upsetting Dave. Paul was hacking and whacking uh, Wayne. This was when Paul was in Pittsburgh before he went to Calgary. Paul, Ax Paul Baxter had one of the sneakiest left hands in the league. In fact, he got Ben Wilson once, kind of suckered him, and then Ben almost killed him. And I know in Dave's case, Paul would not fight him. And Dave put him down from the bench like reached off the bench and dropped Baxter. and uh, But sometimes Paul brought a bit of that, as I recall, uh, bought her, uh, he brought a little bit of that. That was one of those 5'11", 6 feet, 200-pound guys that Dave might have to, uh, you know, send a little bit of a message to. We don't have much of that anymore, do we, <laughs> when you think about it, Brian? Uh, no. That, that hardly I could, never figure, I could never figure Paul out. He was a born-again Christian. That would be the first thing you'd read in his bio. And I was like, this guy's the dirtiest player out there. What part of this is born again? <laughs> <laughs> I could I could do a whole show on that. Seriously, I could do a whole show. <laughs> All right. 
event. <laughs> yes. uh, this, this, this is a great cause. I'm happy to see. I'm not surprised to see everybody getting behind it for Dave. Yeah. Yeah. Very, Our, very classy guy. Very tough individual. Um, I know Willie Plett always said the same thing. And if Willie were on the phone, he'd say it. Just let Samanko sleep. Don't anybody wake him up. And that was like the pregame locker room talk. Yeah, and Willie was a pretty good player. <laughs> Willie was a good good player and farm boy strong. Not afraid of anybody, but he did not look forward to having to tangle with Dave Samanko. Yeah. Uh, all right, let's get to the news of the day. Board of Governors are meeting uh, with the league and the NHLPA is in conversation updating uh, their uh, their players. So I'm going to ask you here, as a former player and later as a guy who, who in the hockey business, you know, your, your career really took a step forward when you were starting up Octagon's agency. You represented players, educated players. Here's my interpretation. You tell me if I'm wrong. I believe the players... Uh, want to play as many games as possible. I, I, I think I, I originally thought, well, they're not going to want to come to training camp, you know, around Christmas time. I believe if you're a player, you want to get in 60 games. Uh, maybe some owners would be happy delaying and starting middle of February and hoping that the COVID situation gets better. But then there's no way you're going to play more than 48 games. Um, I think the players want to play 60. Uh, at least, uh, and I, I think the players, what I got, 30% held back, Brian, 20% escrow, 10% sort of in a delayed uh, uh, payment for down the road, a deferral. Uh, I'm sure the players think it's not going to be prorated. I think logic dictates it'll eventually end up being prorated. Am I warm, cold, or completely out to lunch? No, you've got it nailed. You're trying to articulate the math problem that's going on right now. And that's really what it is. Salary caps, you know, work, work. The bigger the pie, the better a salary cap works for ownership groups. Just call it what it is. In the NFL, it works beautifully. They've got $13, $14 billion of revenue. And even though the splits can be comparable to what they are in the NBA or NHL, that's a lot of extra cash to allow yep. teams to be profitable. As you shrink those margins up, it is much more penal because of the math on organizations, on NBA organizations, on NHL organizations. And that's why owners want to play less games. More does not help them. It just makes player salaries end up being a bigger piece of the pie for them. And that is a lot of what's going on right now. The players, you know, when you talk to the players right now, they've told me they believe that they're getting paid 72% of their salary no matter what. And we've got a formula to work back from 100 to get their escrow capped at 20, um, 10% push to future years. And you can take it on down the line. We'll bore the fans listening right now to death. But the fact of the matter is that from an owner's standpoint, you can understand why they want to play less. From a player's standpoint, you want to play as many as you can. You only have so long to do this. Uh, at the end of the day, it's going to be uncomfortable for owners and uncomfortable for players what they come up with but i do believe they'll reach an agreement and i do think we'll see hockey probably starting even sooner than some people have suggested certainly sooner than february 1st in my opinion yeah uh, i thought january 21st like and part of my rationale was well they're not going to want to come for training camp uh and and you know 
be be at training camp over Christmas. You know what I mean? Because they get a Christmas break. But uh, let's face it, we're not going to have fans in the seats. And we know. I know Gary has stated roughly fifty percent of the revenue comes in from the fans. I would suggest it might be a little higher than that because the TV. That's my own personal interpretation. Like I don't think the TV money. I, I, I'll we'll work with Gary's number at fifty percent. But the reality is, there's there like. L.A. put something out yesterday to their suite holders that there's not going to be any fans for the season. So if you don't have fans, you're just taking a straight loss for the games that are playing because you're making 50% less than normal if you're an owner. Now, let me ask you this. Correct. So let me ask you this. Is there any way the players uh, say, screw it, we're not getting prorated paid if it's only a 48-game schedule? Uh, there's certainly a way. There's absolutely a way in the way that there's a way that owners say, you know, we survived lockouts in the past, you know, and when we didn't play, we could do that again this year, too. And because of those two points, I believe that cooler heads will prevail in the end and we'll work out an agreement. There, there's reasons why you want to continue to play as an ownership group, even if you lose money. You don't want it's This is an out of sight, uh, you know, out of mind, out of sight type deal in terms of entertainment you want to stay you know current with your fans you don't want to let let people drift off and do something else and fill their time some other way so there's impetus on the owner's part to want to keep playing and then from players perspective they have their own ideas as to hey look i can only play 10 years i can only do this so long the body can only take so much whatever it is you've got to make hay when the sun shines so when i add it all together i'm trying to do this in my head and compute it i'm telling your listeners we will have hockey this year and all this stuff just tends to bore fans they just want to see the players that they know and love show up and make sure they give 110 percent so you feel like your team is performing. Uh, it's something you can get behind and build on. And I do think that's what we'll see this year. Is January 1st to January 3rd start date feasible at this stage? For actual league think, games, for regular season games? I think January 1st is still on the table. I really do. Hmm. Well, I, 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 there's a little bit more hope than we're paying here because you're saying, well, L.A. put out there won't be any fans you know, for this season. And the fact of the matter is, you know, there's been huge news here in the United States and around the world on vaccines. Right. You may start off with no fans, but you may end up with 25, 35, 50, maybe even 75% buildings full again. That completely changes the dynamic. Uh, well, we should remind the listeners. I mean, I talked to somebody out of Los Angeles, Brian, you can figure out who that was today. Uh, the governor there, Newsom, has had seven separate shutdowns of some sort <laughs> since, this, yeah. since, this, since this process has started. So uh, it's been intriguing nonetheless. But, yes, you're right. And, there's, and there are multiple drug companies that are battling to uh, battling time to get to a position where they can have a vaccine. This is just not Pfizer that's out there trying to make it happen. And I have a little bit of knowledge on, on how competitive certain individuals are in drug companies and uh, and in that industry. That's why it's so litigious. That's why, you know, there was a guy out of Toronto a couple of years ago that got murdered, and he had, like, literally 
hundreds of lawsuits still pending and it has to do with patents and things like this is an incredibly competitive industry and they're all trying to come up with a solution here to help change the entire complexion of the world so uh, bet on science i guess in some regards and and fast tracking as well um all right, so I'm going to put, put the million-dollar question or maybe the $60 million question on the table for you. When push comes to shove, will the players accept prorated? Yes, they will. Okay. There it won't go. come easy, and I don't mean to say that disrespectfully to any players. I just think at the end of the day, both sides are incentivized to play. And both sides can say, no, we're not going to. We'll just skip it. We'll come back next year. Players want to play. I talk to guys that are antsy. I know you're talking about Christmas and guys don't. You know what? Players have had a lot of time off. You know, yes, I know it didn't end that long ago, but keep in mind there was only two teams playing in four before that and eight before that. Right. And put that in perspective with the majority of National Hockey League players not playing in a very long time, some of them since March 13th. Right. Uh, Brian, the longest break of their life. Brian, far. just just to wrap up, Gary Bettman, and you know, uh, you see him in the office. Um, from your perspective, he's got a lot of power in the league. I mean, let's face it, he's the most powerful guy in hockey, at least in our world, in our side of the pond. Um, the NBA is getting started on the 22nd of December. Gary comes from the NBA. He's got, you know, he's a competitive guy. Where do you think his headspace is at? Um, I do see. I do talk to Gary once in a while, and I believe that he is very hopeful that we'll get everything going, and the players will be back on the ice. Uh, he's a realist. He's been as pra- pragmatic as I've ever seen him in his life through this crisis, where maybe I thought the NHL might be in a hurry. He might be driving that to get back. He really wasn't, certainly not early on. They took a very cautious approach. I think it paid off for the reputation of the National Hockey League. I felt like they set the standard for how to do this through a pandemic. And the NBA really picked it up and finished strong, too. MLB had some challenges. Football continues to have challenges. But the NHL has been spot on. I do think you're going to continue to see that type of attitude where it's really going to take a deep dive into what's going on around in the world. But at the same time, I do think there's optimism from what they learned last year that they can get the players back playing again in a safe environment. Are we talking, you know, just you go to your building and then, or, you know, we we play in your building, you play in ours, or are we looking at sort of maybe a rotational hub scenario for some of the cities short term where maybe a team plays six games in 10 days and then gets a week off and then goes to could you foresee a scenario like that i see a rotation basis in the short term and changes as more information comes in but i don't see teams flying around all the different buildings you know i do see a canadian league being a real strong possibility i also see it being a strong possibility that the league starts off that way even in a 48-50 game type season, maybe 60 game season, and then there's change at the midway point. It's a lot of moving parts. It's a massive undertaking, but I think that they're going to continue to read the tea leaves as they get new information. But I do not think where we're at, even where we're going with numbers rising with COVID, 
that it will be 100% preventative from the NHL coming back and playing. All right. Great stuff. Brian, as always, we appreciate your time. Have a terrific weekend. My pleasure, Bob. Thank you. You bet. That is Brian Lawton, uh, number one pick overall 1983 NHL entry draft. Played a number of seasons in the National Hockey League. Then he went into the agency business, started up Octagon's Hockey Agency. That's the agency, Rick Vallette, that represents Ryan Nugent Hopkins. Uh, Mike Liute from Octagon representing Leon Dreisaitl. Then Brian went on to become the general manager of the Tampa Bay Lightning. He is currently an analyst in the States on the NHL Network. Brian Lawton's our orders now headliner for touchback safety. Touchback remains open for training and is taking all necessary precautions to ensure the safety of their staff and clients. It's 12.53. We'll take a one-minute timeout. You're listening to Oilers Now. Subscribe to the Oilers Now podcast. Available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you find your podcasts. Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer on 630 Chad. 12.54 in Edmonton, Bob Stoffer, Brendan Escott with you. We're going to go to our Oilers Now audio vault. It's brought to you by Direct Workwear, where safety meets savings in Edmonton, Fort McMurray, and online at directworkwear.com. Former L.A. Kings executive Mike Fuda was on the show a couple days ago, and uh, one of the age-old discussions, and many of you are heavy into the analytics, and some of you who, hey, I'm going to tell you right now, I'm, I'm not, there's people listening to this show right now that I could, I believe could scout, that would have an eye for talent. And so there's an age-old conversation on analytics versus see them good scouting. Here's Mike Fuda. I think even some of the hockey guys in the general manager chairs that have tried to push back a little bit on it are getting so much from ownership groups who are, you know, that's kind of their industry. That some of the, the, the billionaire owners with it, they rely so much on analytics and data that they want to see more. Uh, and it, if, it, 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 if it, it also allows you to travel less, it's going to get even more check marks along the block. But for me, again, analytics is a great piece. It's a tool. It can't, it can't for me, at any level become the, the be-all and end-all. So does that, like, does it now come to a point that if your goalie's got a shutout, like, you think he's got a 30-save max that after he's made his 30th save, you change and go to the backup? Because the analytics tell you that after 30 saves, his play drops off. Like, it's, there's so many different things that you have to use it as a blend. Uh, and I think it's great. I think you, you, you're, it's going to give you checks, checks and balances to help you make a much better decision. I think it comes in handy when you're, you know, looking at what certain people are making. Uh, salary-wise as players, but I, I certainly hope you don't take the live viewing and the you show me the math equation that defines character, and I'll come on board because without it, you got no chance. And you need to see these people across from one another and know the person to succeed. Yeah. There you go. That's Mike Fuda, longtime LA Kings executive. So case in point, uh, you, you know, if you went and watched a highlight package on a player and he scored all these goals and good moments, you're seeing him in a positive scenario. But what happens when the team's playing Friday night, Saturday night, Sunday afternoon in Major Junior and his team gets pumped 6-1 and he's slamming the sticks and swearing at his teammates? Well, you need to be in the house to see that sometimes. And then you need to work your trap line in terms of information sources and have guys that are honest with you tell you the truth about the players. And usually it's often guys from other organizations and other players. Very quickly, uh, we talked a bit about uh, all-time orders, tough guys. Haji, this, as we honor Dave Smenko with Dave's Drive. Haji says, Bob, 
George LaRock never lost a fight, taking into consideration he only fought in the above, uh, in or above his weight class. Wish he had more crazy and less code in him. Dave Brown was the scariest man alive then, and he had the right mix of crazy to utterly nuts ratio. Dave Semenko is an absolute legend. The Semenko versus Hunter fights were always entertaining. McSorley and Louis DeBrusque, I would have ranked Steve McIntyre higher. He just couldn't keep on the ice enough to make enough of a difference. That one comes to us uh, from Haji. And uh, there's no question, George, but the only... Oh, who was the guy? He played for Phoenix. The guy wasn't much bigger than me. And he and the guy picked the fight with George. And George was Stephen Hines. Might have been Stephen Hines. It was ugly. Like, you, you know, but there weren't a lot of times where guys were dumb enough to be picking fights with George back in the day. All right. It is 1258 in Edmonton. We are going to take a break here for the Global News Weather Traffic Update with Eileen Bell. And when we come back... Uh, Toronto-based media personality worked in Edmonton a number of years ago, back in the 2000s. A real funny guy, and he's got a new book out, One to Remember. We'll have Ken Reed on the show. This is Oilers Now. Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer, Weekdays at noon on Oilers Radio, 630 Chad.